This podcast is sponsored by Enriched. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, then you'll know that I'm not a big fan of Big Pharma. So I do everything I can to try and stay out of their sickness subscription system. And a key component in my daily arsenal is a dose of what I'm calling the White Basement Lion King Super Stack. First, chugga mushroom, known as the king of mushrooms for a reason. Its potent antioxidant, antiviral, immune-supporting properties make it the most studied medicinal mushroom on earth. And although there can be only one king, the king wears a mane, a lion's mane. Brain-boosting, neuron-sharpening, cognition-enhancing, lion's mane is the perfect partner for King Chaga and the second half of the Lion King Super Stack. For me, it's the perfect start to my day helping me to go hard and go home. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the discount code WHITEBASEMENTPOD to get a 10% discount site-wide. Start your day like a king. Go to Enriched and grab the Lion King Super Stack now. Last year, not this year, Tanya and I went to Montreux for the first time. And um, I don't know why we'd never gone, but we'd never gone. And there was Freddie's statue in Montreal. Have you ever been to Montreal? No. Well, it's amazing because there's this 10-foot statue of Freddie on the lake because Freddie lived there and recorded there. And it's very close to his heart. And people have been going there every year for 30-odd years. And for four days, they have birthday celebrations. He would have been 77 this year. And I'm all standing around and some guy said to me, are you a Queen fan? I said, yeah, I am a bit. And, um, oh, you know, why are you here? Oh, I've never been before. No, well, why are you here? He said, well, well, I've got an association with Freddie Mercury. What's your association? I said, well, I wrote this song in my defense. And he said, you're a liar. You never wrote that song. You never. I said, I promise you, I, I did. I did. I wrote time. No, you're lying again. You're just a liar. And then I pulled out, pull out my camera phone and show me and Cliff Richard in rehearsal for time. And suddenly I'd let all these people around me, did you really write my, that's my favourite song. I've got, I play it morning, noon and night, it's in my car. And, and so I didn't realise the amount of people that, of his solo work, this is top for them. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram, at White Basement Pod is the best place. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, everywhere where you listen to podcasts. Leave us some feedback, leave us a review and share the episodes with friends. It helps us to grow. My guest today is David Soames, a prolific writer, songwriter and co-creator of Time the Musical, which played at the Dominion Theatre in London's West End in the 1980s. He has most famously written songs for Cliff Richard and Freddie Mercury, and in fact, Freddie Mercury sung In My Defence, written by David in his last ever live performance. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, um, yeah, what, what we, would, we, we almost got into talking about just before we started was um, this, is, this is not my normal kind of subject matter for the podcast. So there's a lot of martial arts, jujitsu, yep. health stuff. But I'm also really interested in... Um, the woo-woo side of things, the kind of esoteric and the universe and the way that um, you, 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 you get put in touch with people that you need to get put in touch with just at the right time and you don't quite know why. Six degrees of separation. And I listened, as I was saying, to this interview that you did um, 
maybe a, maybe a year ago. Um, and I, I, I was always aware of Time the Musical, but I, did, I, I never saw it. You know, I was quite young then. I was probably 15, 16. But I remember seeing, you know, the, the, the um, billboard or whatever Under it was Dominion. up in the West yeah. End, you know, when I would walk through. And um, when you agreed to come on the, the, the podcast, I thought I better do a bit of research and find out what's, what this is all about. And it quite fascinated me that the kind of the, the theme of the musical is that we're not really doing a good job on earth and we get called to account. And the, 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 the voice of the universe, the character is called Akash. And this is something that I wanted to ask you. Whether is, is this a reference to the Akashic record? Yes. Yeah, so this is something that I only became aware of a yeah. few episodes back when I had a yoga guy on and he started explaining about the Akashic record and tapping into this field and all this kind of thing. And then I suddenly kind of last night just had this, this kind of um, realisation that maybe this is the, this is the, the connection for you into the, the podcast rather than just the music, which I'm not so familiar with. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's interesting to me how the universe kind of crosses things over. And I wonder whether that's something that you feel has kind of informed your journey because you, you made reference to it a few times in, in, in the things that I'd seen. The, the fact that the time the musical had a hundred opportunities not to ever happen, but it did. Yes. And, and you to meet people and paths to cross. Is, is, is that kind of, um, I don't know what you would even call it, God consciousness, universal consciousness is that something that that's a well, factor in your well life? It, yeah i mean when i when i decided to write time it was originally called the time lord and obviously i went through so i read some certain books um chariot of the gods was one of them can't remember who the author was chariot of the gods um and then certain names sprung up and akash from the the records and i thought akash that's a really good name and then the time lord himself is called melchizedek which is from the bible and it says, if I can remember right, having neither beginning of nor end of days, nor beginning of time, nor end of days. And I thought, that sounds like a great name for a time lord. So I called him Melchizedek. And that's the, the names just came like that. And um, I mean, it was a, a spiritual piece in a way. Um, and I don't know how or why in a way. I mean, I just got this idea for a app story. But basically, Jeff Daniels, who wrote the music, um, he got in touch with me through a friend of mine, Peter Blake, who's an actor who's now sadly gone. And he said, Jeff wants someone to write music, um, words to his music. So I met with this guy, I never met him before, and he said, I've written this music and it's called The Time Lord. He said, and I want the actor Richard Harris to narrate it if we can get hold of him after hearing MacArthur part the song. And I said, oh, give me the I'll work on it. So a week later I called him up and said, right, I finished the lyric. And we met up and I showed it to him and he said, great, let's go ahead and do it. I said, no, no, I've, I've now got an idea for a whole musical. The whole story in a week has come into my head with all these characters and what it's about. And it's about the earth being put on trial by the High Court of the Universe and by the Time Lord Melchizedek. Because the High Court of the Universe believes that after we walked on the moon all those years before, we still hadn't learned anything. We were still killing each other. People were starving. Everything was going to pot. And um, as we kind of look now, I'm going to say this in Palestine and Gaza, it's still happening. Nothing's changed at the end of the day. It's very topical, And so basically, 
that's why I started writing this musical. Yeah. And, um, you know, things that were going to happen to it down the line, I, I couldn't even conceive how, how, how it would get. And so was, was that kind of a concept, something that you had chewed on in the past, just in, in other circumstances, or literally you heard the bit of music, you wrote the lyrics, and then it just... Absolutely, okay. just wrote the lyrics, and as I was writing the lyrics, I am the Time Lord, and I da da da, and and then suddenly I just thought, there's a whole musical here. There has to be, you know, what what would it be now? Who would be who would be against the Time Lord? And then I thought, well, black space pirate called Captain Ebony. So I started getting this, and then I says, well, there's got to be a judge in the High Court of the Universe. I'll make it three judges: Trigon, Lagos, and Morgia. Names I totally made up. That was all. And then it just went on. And then we thought, well, how, what do you do? How, well, we're going to get a politician to come and defend the earth because it's going to be on trial in the high court of the universe. And I thought, no, we've got to get rid of the politician, bring a rock star. Because what is politics? They're going to screw up anyway. And that's how Sir Cliff Richard ended up playing the rock star. Um, that was, and, but we, we decided we had to write really good songs, really good rock songs and really good ballad, pop ballads, which we ended up doing. And um, the producer, we were lucky to get the producer we got, who was Dave Clark, who was a very famous guy from the 60s, early 70s, for the Dave Clark Five. And um, Dave Clark was obviously, at one time, it was the third biggest band in the world after the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Dave was that big. And um, if you listen to Dave Clark Five's music, some of it's okay as pop songs, good pop songs, but the singer in the Dave Clark Five keyboard player Mike Smith was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. And he was a great songwriter. Although he and Dave wrote the songs together. But I think, you know, Mike maybe had a heavier hand in that. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I mean, I started out as an actor. I was going to say, yeah. maybe, 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 because um, certainly for my audience, they will be less familiar with you and your work. So, you, you, did you start out in music or it was acting was your no, passion? No, it was acting. I, um, I, if you really want to know when I started, I started life as a child. Yes. <laughs> Bob home. But um, no, I did nothing up till I was 15 at all in life in Glasgow. And then um, I got kicked out of school when I was 15. So I've got no A-levels, no O-levels, no GSC, GSCs, nothing at all. In fact, I remember my mother and father being called up to the school and they said... Um, David is doing us no good, and we're doing him no good. Could you take him out of school and never bring him back again, please? So, was, was there like a particular event? There? Oh, it was a lot of events <laughs> leading up to that, I tell you. I was stupid. And then as we left, my father said to me, well, it's Friday afternoon, so you have a job by Tuesday or I'll kick you out of the house. So that was pretty. So I had a job by Monday. What, so did, you, what did you find? Um, I put TV aerials on roofs, learned how to do that, and in lofts. I um, worked in a lemonade factory. I worked in a grocery shop. I worked in a sawmill. I made pig food for four hours, gave that up because my back was killing me. Um, I did all sorts of things and um, ended up even being a milkman in one of those little electric floats, three-wheelers. That was it until one day I was standing with a friend in Glasgow. One night we're standing and I said to him, um, do you fancy becoming actors? And he said, yeah, well, Why? I said, well, we get lots of money and lots of women. And um, one out of two ain't bad. I don't have a Ferrari. So, <laughs> But anyway, so we, we did a night class for speech and drama. And um, we did that for a while. We applied to get into a drama uh, a group. And um, some of the older ones, they sweep the floor for three years. We thought, that's useless. So we joined another one for one play. 
Then the teacher at night in the speech and drama class, she pulled me aside one day and she said, you should apply for the Royal Scottish Academy of Drama and Music because you've got something, the rest of them don't have it. So I went along and auditioned, came back. She said, how did you get on? I said, it's no problem, I'm, I'll pass, I'll get in there, no problem. She said, well, they're taking 10 men, 8 women, so far they've seen 800 people. And I thought, oh, well, maybe no, it won't get in, but they took me in. And that was it and changed my life entirely. Cause well, can you remember what piece you did for that? I, I Believe it or not, I can. I did The Matchmaker by Thornton Wilder, which, became, which is actually Hello, Dolly. And I did The Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams, two American pieces. So there's a Glasgow accent boy doing two American pieces. And um, they, they, they said to me, do you know you've just done two American pieces to get into the Scottish Academy? And I, I said, God, I never thought about that. But yeah, yeah, fine. And um, there was five directors with the head of the college in the middle and they were silently looking at me and I'm sitting there. And I knew this question was coming because some people had told me, they will say to you this question. And he looked at me and he said, um, why do you want to become an actor, David? And I said, well, whenever I see Lawrence Olivier, Steve McQueen, Richard Burton, I just want to get up there and do it with them. I said, I don't really just want to do it. I want to knock them aside and do it all by myself. And there was a long pause in the head of the college looked at me and he says, why do you think you're better than Sir Lawrence Olivier? I said, no, not yet. <laughs> Boom. They said, right, you're in. And when I got in, they said, that was the thing that put it over the edge because they made them all laugh. And they said, we can't teach you that, the way you just delivered that out. But, so there was three years. Learn, the thing I learned to do was how a play was constructed. That's the important thing. Because I'd never been academic at all. And then you learn how a play is constructed, different parts to it, beginning, middle, end, etc., the highs, the lows. And then I just started writing at drama school. And... Uh, there's a funny story which I'll tell you, which I'm sure you'll like. So there I is. There's a very famous theatre in Glasgow called the Citizens Theatre, and they take actors to do small parts, and they pay them, which is good training for them. And I was asked to play a small part in a play called A Choice of Wars by a very famous writer. I won't tell you yet who he is. So anyway, but in there we're rehearsing, and then I said to him, um, I'll tell you, I'll say, you might not, i say his name was Erwin Shaw. And I said, Mr. Shaw, I've just written my first play. It's an hour long. Would you read it? And he said, yeah, kid, I'll read your play. And um, so he then said, um, come up to my hotel room, kid. I want to tell you what I think of your play. So I walked into the hotel room and um, I saw the play sitting there on the desk. I'm thinking, my first play, my first play, this great man. And um, he looks at me and he says, is this your first play, kid? I said, yeah. This play's a piece of shit. And I thought, well, this is good. He's just said this play's a hit because I couldn't hear what he said to me. So I'm quite elated. And then he, he looks at me like I'm mad because I'm kind of smiling. And he said, I said, kid, this play's a piece of shit. And I went, oh, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry, Mr. Shaw. I'm very sorry. And he said, no, no. And then he went and he said, no. He said, this play's shit, but you have two things that people can't teach you. He said, you have a gift for dialogue and you have an imagination. He said, there's no university or college in the world can teach you those two things. You have it. He said, every great writer, Shakespeare, Erwin, Shaw, Mickey Spillane, me, we all have one style. You have to find your style. He said, this play ain't your style because it's a piece of shit. He said, and he said, but you go find your style and you'll be a writer. Erwin Shaw is one of the greatest American writers that ever lived. He must have had 20 novels. He's had several novels that were Times winners. 
and he wrote Two Weeks in Another Town for Kirk Douglas, The Young Lions from Marlon Brando in Montgomery Cliff, and he wrote a huge television series called Rich Man, Poor Man, which was went across the world, this guy, and that was the guy that was telling me my play is shit. But he then also told me what I should do to improve myself. And did you have any more do. contact with him later on? No, with no, things? he went back to America, and, um, you know, he was one of the biggest writers in the world at that time. And so, so then how... After that experience, how long did it take you to find your style in inverted well, commas? Yeah, I, I, I kept writing and um, it was, um, I acted for 10 years after I left drama school, 1969 I left drama school. I, uh, I worked in a lot of repertory companies like Bristol, Crewe, Liverpool, um, all over the place, Windsor. And um, I did 10 Shakespeare plays as an actor and I did some huge parts. I played actually Sir Toby Belch in Twelfth Night in Regent's Park, which is a huge part. At Liverpool Playhouse, I played Cordelia the Daughter and the Fool in King Lear. So it was an all-male cast. I had uh, a crew, I played Touchstone and As You Like It. Um, so I did a lot of big, com mostly comedy roles, and I did other plays as well. And a few television play um, parts as well. I, I did a Blue Peter special in which I played Keats in Keats the Poet. And I never even got a bloody badge. I should have got my badge. My Peter badge, but I didn't. Anyway, but through all of that, I was always writing, writing, writing. And it was, um, I wrote my first play, which was um, called Who'd Be a Vampire? And it was a 45-minute piece that I got done in the West End. Believe it or not, at Stringfellows, before it was Stringfellows, on the basement, there's a little theatre downstairs. And I wrote this thing called um, Who'd Be a Vampire, about a vampire who goes to psychiatrist complaining people keep trying to kill him because <laughs> he didn't want to be a vampire. And um, I got some actors I knew. I got Tony Asoba to play the psychiatrist. You will, you'll remember him. He's a black actor from Porridge. Ronnie oh, yeah. Barker, yeah, the yeah. Scots guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's one of, he was in drama, well, drama school together. And um, he, he played the psychiatrist and I was a vampire. You never quite know if he is a vampire, but he actually is. And um, so I had that done. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. And that, um, that got me a great agent, you see. I, got, uh, I ended up getting the same agent as Roger Moore and Alec Guinness in London Management because she came to see the play. So that was the first kind of little bit of success. And it was just after that that I met Jeff Daniels, who came up with the idea for this song called The Time Lord. And then that led on to me writing the musical The Time Lord, which my agent then, when we had finished that, she uh, she spoke to, played it to her, and she, she said, I know someone who runs a theatre in Kingston-upon-Thames, um, the Overground Theatre. She said, so I'll send it out to them. So she sent it to them. Immediately, he, the producer there, the director, said, yeah, we want to do this show, we want to do this show. And um, he said, we'll do it with um, three actors on stage, and the three judges and a five-piece band. That's how we have to do it like that because we don't have any money in that. We said, okay, fine. So that was, um, we, we did that. And it was on for about four weeks. And the funny thing was um, the guy who was the musical director of the band was a guy called Milton Ream James, who was Cockney Rebel. He played in Cockney Rebel. Um, all the big hits and everything. So he was a musical director, so that was cool. And then we did it for four weeks. It came off. We did a demo. But one night, this man came along to see the show. And his name was Bob West. And he said, I want you to send it to my boss in the West End because I think he'll like this. So I sent it to his boss. And um, then when it was finished, I went to see his boss. And his boss said, 
I really like this show, but I think your second act needs work. So I went away and I wrote the second act and I sent it back to him and he said, come and see me. So I went back to see him and he said, second act works really well now, but I'm sorry, I can't do it in the West End because I'm doing this musical now called Cats by Andrew Lloyd Webber. And it was Sir Cameron Mackintosh. <laughs> and that was me sitting in his little office before he became the greatest producer in the world. So off we went again and that was it. Then um, Margaret Lindsay, my agent, said, um, right, I'm going to give it to another West End producer called Danny O'Donovan, who's got a hit show running in the West End at the moment, Shaspi Avenue, called Philomena. And so she gave it to Danny O'Donovan. We had a meeting with him and he said, right, I've listened to the show, I've read it, I love it, I want to put this on the West End. It's going on the West End. So I thought, said to Jeff, that's it, we're, in, we're done, we're going to get there now. A year later, he hadn't done a thing. He hadn't done a thing on this. And then we thought, this is just no sound, nothing coming back from him at all. Then, this is when it started. The luck rolled in. Danny gets on the Concord one day to go to America. Empty seat beside him. And who sits beside him but Dave Clark? Dave says, hello, Danny. Danny says, hello, Dave. Danny says, what are you doing, Dave? Dave says, I'm looking for a musical. Danny says, I've got a musical. Dave said, what's it about? Danny says, I haven't got a clue. It's called The Time Lord. It's about space and judges and high courts and black space pirates and all sorts of stuff. He said, but I haven't got a clue what to do, what it's about or anything. Dave said, that sounds great. Send it over to my office. Six weeks, Danny never sent it. Dave kept pestering him every two weeks. Then eventually, Danny sent it over to Dave. Dave called a meeting at his penthouse in um, Mayfair above the Curzon Cinema. That's where he lived at the time. And then we went up there and Dave just said to us, right, I'm doing this musical. That's it. So I'm doing this musical. You just have to wait because I'm going to do it right. He said, but I'm going to do it. And from that moment to the time we opened in the West End took six years. Wow. But probably four of it was trying to get all these people together. Because um, Dave was quite amazing. I mean, he made up his mind he was going to do this musical. And... Um, Eventually, he got the Minion Theatre, which hadn't been a, a theatre up to that point. And uh, he got Sir Cliff Richard to sign for a year. Now, how do you... And remember, this is going back to 1984. Cliff Richard was huge. I mean, you're talking huge, huge across Europe, South America, all these places. Um, he did a couple of hits in America, but it was huge. And to ask that man to cut your career for a year... Plus, you need three months before, so it's 15 months, and he did. He said, now, there's this talking head of Akash. He said, I'm going to get Sir Lawrence Olivier to do that. And you go, come on, how do you get Olivier? And he got Olivier. And then he said, I'm going to get the greatest designer in the world to design the set, John Napier, who did Cats, Les Miserables, Starlight Express, and um, lots of other stuff. And he gets John Napier, and he says, choreography, I'm going to get Arlene Phillips. He got Arlene Phillips. And he said, I'm going to get the director from Broadway who did Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand. And he got him as well, Larry Fuller. So he's gathering all these people together. And we're thinking, this is just amazing, you know. And um, Dave put his own money down, three and a quarter million pounds on the table. Very cleverly, once he got his cast together and he got the Dominion, he offloaded it to another company. Clever man. Um, and then he said... I'm not doing the usual, which is a cast album, you know, of the, record the cast that's on stage. So I'm going to do a concept album. So eventually we said, that's great, Dave. And then one day he called us up and he showed us a list of who his concept album entailed. 
and it was um, Lawrence Olivier, Cliff Richard, Stevie Wonder, Julian Lennon, Burt Bacharach, um, Dion Warwick, Leo Sayer, Freddie Mercury, Murray Head, Jimmy Helms, all in this cast album that he had pulled together. <laughs> we couldn't believe it. I mean, it was unbelievable. And um, you got Freddie Mercury, who was humongous at the time. I mean, one of the biggest stars in the world to do two songs on the show. And I mean, if anyone's out there, you can look it up on the internet. You'll see Freddie and Dave Clark on many, many things on the internet. And lucky for me, because I wrote 13 of the lyrics to the show. There was 21 songs and 13 of them were ones that I put, I did lyrics on. Because Dave, very cleverly, because all of the songs weren't great. So what he did is he got outside writers to write for like Dion um No, Dion Warwick did a song I wrote actually called What on Earth, but to write other things. Um, Stevie Wonder did some writing and re and recorded with Cliff on a song called She's So Beautiful. And um, it just like, it was like a man who could pick up the phone to God and say, like, you do something for me. And so and, had, um, had, do you know how, how he had such good connections with people? Dave Clark Five were ginormous. He it did, was just from that. Just from the Dave that. Clark Five. He did the, what was the name? Ed Sullivan show in America, which was the biggest pop show in the world then. The Beatles played 10 times or something on that show. Dave Clark played 25 times on the show. More than the Rolling Stones as well. So they knew every, everyone in America knew the Dave, who Dave Clark was. And Dave was a very, he's one of the few drummers that affronted a band to be totally in charge of the band. And um, so he was able to pull in all these people he knew, you know, just by picking up the phone, which was amazing. So anyway, luckily, of the two songs Freddie Mercury recorded, one was Time, the title track, which I didn't write, because Dave did it with John Christie, who was a friend of his. I didn't even know it was getting done till it was done, because um, I think I could have written a better song with Time. But anyway, um, but the other song was In My Defence, which he, Freddie wanted to record when he heard it anyway. And then he said, after all, oh, I could also do Time, which was great. And um, Cliff Richards fought Dave Clark that he wanted to record in my defence, because he sang it on stage and on the on the album. No, he did, sorry, not on the album. He sang it on stage and he fought with Dave, said, no, I've got Freddie Mercury. Thought, Thank you, Dave. I'm really happy. As much as I love Cliff. And he did a great song of mine, which opened the show called Born to Rock and Roll, which I'll talk about later. Um, and so time went on and it ran for two years and um, a million people saw it and it kind of changed my life. In a way, and just to, just to circle you back a little bit, so you the original the, the smaller show, yep. the Time Lord, that that had the thirteen songs in it. No, it had probably yeah, probably had a bit more, but some were dropped away at the when it went to being Time, because in fact. When we were talking to Dave Clark at being, it was still called the Time Lord. And yeah. then one day, surprised us, we walked in and he had a poster done and he said, I've changed the title to just Time, which we kind of shocked a bit. And then thought, well, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's better just one word, Time. Like you think of Oliver or, you know, musical, but Abba, um, not Abba, um, Chess. It reminds me a little bit of, um, have you seen the movie The Social Network about Facebook? Yes, where they they were it was the Facebook, the Facebook. And the and guy said call when he's it walking out Facebook he's, yeah walking out and he says um, I'll give you something for nothing take away the yeah yeah I remember yeah that. yeah exactly. yeah it's yeah. so the same same yeah. you know just distilling it down just to bring its it essence down to one right? yeah, yeah yeah and so what what I wanted to ask you was so when you develop the original show you write the songs and you also write the dialogue in between so you kind of write it like a musical. 
story? Yeah, well, what, how does what it I work? do is, what I do is, um, I have this thing where I write the song, t- I write the story, and then I write the song title <coughs> that I want the song to be. And then I go on and write the story again. And then when I come to the next bit, I write another song title. Then I write the story. So basically, I know what the, the, the song's going to be about on those spaces. Obviously, it changes a lot down, down the way. So that's how I normally work, to do it that way. So then, so then you will have a, is it a manuscript? Is that what you would Yeah, well, it? no, it's called a book, music and lyrics. So you have the book, which is the story. Right. Then you have the music and the lyrics. Okay. That that so that's what Dave picked up on, and um, you know, we we opened up at on the Dominion, which he, he converted totally converted. I mean, he, he he took the Dominion apart to put on this show. Um, he dug out the stage to take down this room twice and disappear it into the stage, which was unbelievable. It starts, it starts out as a rock concert with Cliff Richard singing as. Um, Chris Wilder is his name. He just is at a rock concert and he gets hit by laser beams and transported into the high court of the universe. It's the first time laser had been used in the West End as well. Um, and he lands up in the high court of the universe and three judges are floating around on these pods and he's there. And then in comes Captain Ebony and the spaceship arrives on stage and down come from ropes come all these space pirates, which he had this big space. And then when the Time Lord enters, the, the kind of stage goes up and all these robotic kind of people come through and then the stage goes down and turns and all sorts of things happen on it. It was quite amazing. And so how much input did you have in that sort of six-year process of it going from your show to the to where yeah, with a lot of um, times I'd have to go up with David. We'd be rewriting the thing, you know, just moving it forward and forward and forward, and and you know, strengthening it in lots of places because what we gave over could never have gone in the West End in a million years. What I'd originally written for the small theatre that would never have worked in the no way could it work in the West End it was you had the nut the, the, the you know the, the the heart of the story was there the characters were there but it had to be threshed out enormously to, did, to, did you have any particular kind of things that you you managed to keep in that were going to come out or, or vice no, versa no 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 I mean the, a bit, it was more like put things in because it when it run in Kingston it wasn't a two and a quarter hour show so it was it was built out and then dialogues which and then th- then obviously the thought process of, of what characters were saying and doing and what their motivation was all that became bigger s- writing sessions and how how did it feel the first time you saw it in the west end well it's unbelievable were, were you there for the the, well, the of course, yeah, yeah yeah i was there the opening obviously i was there in rehearsals for a start and um, and um, not every rehearsal, you know, because you, you can't do anything about it. You just let them get on with it. And um, sometimes there was a there was a song called um, "As Not Your Brother-in-Law, As Your Brother in Soul," which the Black Space Guy pirate sang. And I mean, at one point we needed four more lines, so basically I was sitting in the stalls. And Dave Clark would say, "Get me four more lines for this song." And so, ten minutes, I write four lines. They say, oh, "Yeah, that's great. Give it to them." They start. They learn it right away. So we did things like that. And um, obviously, when he got, he brought in some new songs, and then I obviously had to tailor the dialogue to suit the songs. But the songs were we knew would fit. They were correct songs. Um, a great song which is called "It's in Every One of Us" by my great friend David Pomerantz who's a great songwriter. He actually wrote Trying to Get the Feelings Back Again and the old songs for Barry Manilow before I met him. 
big, big songwriter. He's a huge star in the Philippines, David. And um, he wrote, someone had heard this song, it's in every one of us, which is a very spiritual song. And if anybody gets a chance, listen to it by David Pomerantz. It's phenomenal. And um, Cliff sang that in, in the show. Um, and uh, so when I heard this song, we thought, well, we have to get the dialogue leading up to why this song would be sang at, by that character at that point. So we, we had to we'll do that kind of work. So yeah, so and was, so how how was the opening night? What, what well, it was phenomenal. I mean, the... I mean, we had lots of stars there. I think we had the whole football, um, the Spurs football team were there. <laughs> yeah, because Dave has a music publishing company called Spurs Music, and he's from Tottenham. So basically, he knew these guys and all of that. He knew the club through the Dave Club. So they were there, and there was there was a lot of stars there that night, and uh, it was really cool, you know. And a lot of stars came consequently over the the year. And how, how, how does it feel kind of seeing your, that thought that came into your head the, yeah, be, from, become from, well, a it, thing? Well, no, this is, this is again, this is a one in a million. First of all, Cameron McIntosh, who I've already gone back, would, would like to show, but and Cameron McIntosh is the most successful producer in the world. He could never have done this show like Dave Clark because Dave Clark brought rock and roll to it. Cameron would never have done that. I don't think it would have been successful with Cameron McIntosh doing it because he wouldn't have seen what Dave saw and how he'd do it. It was a real... Cliff, Cliff took the part because he said, these are real rock songs and real rock ballads and they're really good, so I'll do the show. And I love the message of the show. And that's why I'm going to do it for a year and give a year of my life over. I mean, no one believed you get Cliff Richard in a musical for a year in the West End. Yeah, I mean, he's you know. quite a he's quite a sort of a, a, a Christian. Oh faith yeah, he's very, guy, he's very, so yeah, he's, he's yeah, he's a, he's a Christian. Yeah, and he like. But there's um, a funny part in it. Um, there's a song called "In It We're the UFO," because the the Chris um, Cliff's character says to the, the Time Lord Melchizedek, "Well, look, you're so advanced in us. Why don't you reveal yourself to the people of the earth? Tell us what we're doing wrong and help us do it right." He said, "That's all I've ever done. That's all we've ever done." And Cliff says, well, what do you mean? And the song goes, when you were just an ape, we gave you your first break. We taught you how to think. We're the missing link. Hey, didn't you know we're the UFO? And that was the song. And there's one point where he says, um, 2,000 years ago, a time lord, he did go. To Nazareth, he came to ease your grief, to ease your pain. And what did you do? You crucified him. I was made out that Jesus was a time lord. And Cliff said, I can't sing those words. <laughs> he said, I can't sing them. Jesus was not a time lord. He was the Messiah. And I said, no, I can't understand that, Cliff. And I thought for a second, I said, okay. 2,000 years ago, a guiding light did go to Nazareth. He came to ease your grief. Teacher. I'll sing that. I'll sing those words. Yeah, he said. Just so enough ambiguity. Like, yeah, to, just, just to, yeah. yeah, that's fine. I can sing that, he said. So we had that kind of conversation. I just forgot all about that till, till this moment. But yeah, so that was cool. And, and so, so then the 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 album had that already been recorded when the show it was, came on. It was recorded, um, yes. Just the the show opened and it was still in kind of recording. Or it had just been some of it had been recorded before and some of it was being done. Yeah. And it, and and it actually was kind of as like a a rock album. Yeah. Right? So it was a yeah. It was a it was a, a concept thing. album. If you you look it up and you see all the names running 
it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was looking it, yeah. through. You, yeah, you got, you, how the hell could someone get these people together? Yeah, it almost looks like a kind of a like a charity concert yeah, yeah, where you exactly. just get everyone yeah, 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 saying, yeah. "Yeah, I'll do yeah, it, I'll do it, I'll, I'll, do, it, I'll do, it. do it." But it was Dave got them to do it. Yeah, obviously they all got in this. They they get paid for when it's sold. You know, for the songs if they'd written the songs, um, for the gig, um, and um, you know, and it, it was at Lawrence Olivia's last performance ever doing this this show. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was filmed performance, and it was on a talking head. So they built a, a plaster cast of his head and elongate, elongated all the features. And then when they threw the film onto it, it came alive. And it was in a planet that opened. Right. So I've seen yeah, yeah, some yeah, of yeah, the video of, of him yeah, talking, yeah, yeah. but I haven't seen Yeah, I mean, it was quite... I mean, no one had ever seen anything like this in the West End. I remember a funny story. So I'm, I'm watching the show, and I'm, I come out at, at half half time... I'm standing in the foyer and I look over and there's this man standing there and I thought, my God, it's him. So I walked up to him and I introduced myself and he said to me, did you write We Are The UFO? I said, I did. He said, I wish I'd written that and it was Sir Tim Rice. <laughs> that was quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, and so one thing that I wasn't able to find was what happens at the end. The end of the show? Yeah. Do they let us live? They give us, this is a play on words. When they say, well, what's going to happen to us? And they decide, we're bringing in the law of probination. Probation. But we called, I called it the law of probation. So basically what he's saying, carry on, be better than you are, but we're watching. Did we get like a time? No, no, no time. He just said, we're watching. And that was how it ended up. And um, there, I think that's when David's song came in, it's in every one of us, it's in every one of us, to be wise, open your eyes, da 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 da, da. You know, we can all know everything to, to know. It's in every one of us. It's a lovely lyric. Do, do you think the, the show will, will, will ever Never. go back on again? Never. And is there, there's not like a, a, a recorded version of it that you can buy, like a... Is it? Can you buy a video? Of yeah, the, no, of no, the you can't buy a video. Yeah, I mean, there's some videos on on YouTube, but you can buy the record the, the show yeah. recording of it. There is. Yeah, you can download it. Right. It can be downloaded. Yeah, I'm gonna but, watch. But um, but it's like um, I mean, because people always say to me, "Well, how do you write lyrics? How do you get inspiration for lyrics?" And I always like to bring up the thing about "Born to Rock and Roll" by Cliff because um, because when Cliff said he's going to do it. Dave says, well, we need a song because it's going to open the show. And I said, no, we, we must have a song that really is fabulous for Cliff. And then I went away and I thought, what can I write? What can I write? And I thought, I'll write this song called Born to Rock and Roll because that's Cliff's life. And then I thought, well, how do I write the lyrics? And going back to when I did 10 Shakespeare plays, I did Twelfth Night. And the first line in Twelfth Night is, if music be the food of love, play on. That's the first, well, very famous line. So I did that as my first line. If music for the food of love, play on. And then in Julius Caesar, Mark Antony says, friends, Romans, countrymen, when Caesar's been stabbed, lend me your ears. So this, I've got the two lines. If music be the food of love, play on. Lend me your ears as I lay down the song. It's hard to control. Let me tell you, people, I was born to rock and roll. I got the first two lines from Shakespeare. Yeah, it's a great song. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know whether I have heard it, but n not remembered it. No. But I listened to it again last yeah. night. Yeah. It's a really good, really catchy good song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great song. And Cliff doing it. I mean, there's some videos of him on stage doing it live at a concert. 
that you can see in, is in Australia, New Zealand, which is very good. But I used to open the show every night, so you just knew you were off to a bang straight away with Cliff delivering, and he sings it fabulously. He's Cliff. But um, that's where the lines came from. Two lines from Shakespeare are pulled out. <laughs> and and that, that song was written for Cliff. For Cliff, you singing that show. Yeah, but what we're, suddenly we've got a rock star of Cliff's calibre. We need to give him something. And why would a rock star be singing on stage at a concert? I was born to rock and roll. And that was and Cliff. I mean, Cliff loved the song. But um, so that was how that lyric came to be. And lyrics can come from anywhere. And you know? so where did the In My Defence come from? Simple. This is what these people say to me. How do, because, first of all, you've got to look at the lyric in this song. Because this song lay on the shelf for five years. Freddie recorded it in 1986. But he immediately went back to Queen. Because they did Live Aid not long after this. So what, what, what years was the show played? 86 to 88. Okay, so right so at the beginning. Right at the beginning, the he recorded 86. Remember. And then while it was running, Live Aid was performed or just after it. But Freddie went back to Queen. So therefore, they didn't want to release a song just by Freddie. So it was put on the shelf. Time was released during the show at the beginning because that's the one that Dave Clark released. He was in charge of that. And um, so there is, um, in my defence, sitting on the shelf, and Freddie dies in 91. So they released Bohemian Rhapsody, which instantly goes to number one again, quite rightly so, because arguably it's the greatest pop song and rock song ever written. And a year later, what are we going to release of Freddie? I'm sure Dave Clark then says, we have this song called In My Defence, and it's released. Now, if you've listened to the lyric, all Freddie fans thinks he's singing about his life. My defence, what is there to say? All the mistakes we've made must be faced today. It's not easy now knowing where to start while the world tears itself apart. I'm just a singer with a song. How can I write the wrong? So that he's singing about his AIDS, and he's dying, and he knows he's... He's dying, but he's, he's, this is it, he's, you know. And the funny thing, it wasn't, because what happens is, in the court, the Time Lord says to, Cl to Cliff Richard character, the earth should just be destroyed, because we don't want you coming into the universe bringing what you are. You have learned nothing. Where, have you, what have you got to say about this? And Cliff says, well, in my defence, what is there to say? All the mistakes we've made must be faced today. It's not easy now knowing where to start. Well, the world we love tears itself apart. I'm just a singer with a song. And it worked perfectly in the show, but it took on a different meaning when Freddie Mercury sang it, and he had died. It became Freddie's song. It's a bit like, um, who does the song Nothing Compares to You belong to? Uh, um, Sinead O'Connor. Yes. It doesn't belong to Prince anymore. No. Prince wrote it, yeah. and he's brilliant at it, but it belongs to her. Yes. And it's a bit like, in my defense, it belongs to Freddie Mercury. Yeah, and so this is something that 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 interests me, and and obviously you know you you wrote the song, so you will probably have the definitive answer. But I wonder whether, in some way, you did write it for him for that period after he died, and it would have been recorded earlier, and it would have sat on the shelf, but you just didn't know yet. How could you know? You couldn't possibly know. I mean, arguably, um, you know, because so <laughs> story. No, that's like out of your control. Yeah. If Freddie hadn't died, that might have still been sitting on the shelf because he would have put a, a he'd have said, no, I'm sorry, with Queen songs, I don't want solo anymore because I've gone to the band and those days are gone with me and I don't want the song released. And um, But 
he died, you know, tragically. And um, because it's funny, people, when I, I, because I've written, um, last year, not this year, Tanya and I went to Montreux for the first time. And um, I don't know why we'd never gone, but we'd never gone. And there was Freddie's statue in Montreux. Have you ever been to Montreux? Right. Well, it's amazing because there's this 10-foot statue of Freddie on the lake because Freddie lived there and recorded there. And it's very close to his heart. And people have been going there every year for 30-odd years. And for four days, they have birthday celebrations. He would have been 77 this year. And I'm all standing around and some guy said to me, are oh, you a Queen fan? I said, yeah, I am a bit. And, um, oh, you know, why are you here? Oh, I've never been before. No, well, why are you here? He said, well, well, I've got an association with Freddie Mercury. What's your association? I said, well, I wrote the song in my defense. And he said, you're a liar. You never wrote that song. You never. I said, I promise you, I, I, I did. I did. I wrote time. No, you're lying again. You're just a liar. And then I pulled out, pull out my camera phone and show me and Cliff Richard in rehearsal for time. And suddenly I'd let all these people around me, did you really write my, that's my favorite song. I've got, I play it morning, noon and night, it's in my car. And, and so I didn't realize the amount of people that, of his solo work, this is top for them. And if you go on the internet, a lot of people think after Bohemian Rhapsody, it's the song they like the best because they feel it's very personal about Freddie, singing about himself. And um, they always say to me, um, you wrote for the great Freddie. Do you think Freddie's the greatest singer that ever lived? That's a question. And I say, no. What? what? What do you mean? What do you? I say, well, I think he's one of the two greatest singers that ever lived. You know, the next question is, well, who's the other one then? I say, well, one's the king and one's the queen, which is Elvis and Freddie. I said, yeah. I think they're very much on a par. Yeah. And then when I was talking in Montreux this year, I, I did some screen things in Tanya. We put up videos, and I actually. I said, no, he, have a look at Elvis in 1986 and his black leather at his comeback concert, which I don't know if you've ever seen this, but if you haven't, watch it. I'll have a look. It's the greatest video of an hour and a half that's ever been done. Um, and, Fred, and Elvis is wearing black leather with his hair combed up. And this was six years after his last hit. And the Beatles had put him out of Vogue. And so he plays on there, Don't Be Cruel, Heartbreak Hotel, and um, All Shook Up. And I said, now you see how he is there with his black leather. And then I played crazy little thing called Love. Freddie in his black leather with his hair combed up like Elvis. And this was his tribute to Elvis. That's why it goes, crazy little thing called Love. And that was his direct tribute to Elvis. I said, that's, you think what Freddie, well, see how Elvis moved and see how Freddie moves. Freddie's taking some of his moves, then moved them into his own. I said, but without Elvis, Freddie wouldn't have some of the things he did. And... Freddie once said, when I'm on my deathbed, I pray that someone's playing blue suede shoes. Really? Yep. So that's how, what he thought about the, the king. But it's quite nice when you say the king and the queen. Yeah. It's got a nice <laughs> ring to it. Yeah, it has, hasn't it? Yeah. But, so, but I think that is, that is, that does kind of come all the way back to this uh, Akashic record. Mm. You know, where there's this kind of universal flow memory of everything mm. and and i think you know from from a lot of the stuff that i've been looking at um more recently that 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 flow does go seems to go in one direction so time is moving in in one direction it's not forwards and backwards where you can jump around but it seems like some of the stuff that's in the future we we get glimpses of before it happens um so there's 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 a I don't know whether are you familiar with the the concept of remote viewing? 
No. It's a, it's, have, you, have you ever seen the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats? With um, Yes. That's about yeah, remote viewing. Yes. So it's a, it was a real military sort of designed um, program to psychically spy yes. on the enemy. Yes. Um, but there's a, there's a bunch of remote viewers that I follow on uh, YouTube who um, the way it works is if you want to know about something that you're interested in a future event. So, so, you know, it could have even been something like I've written this musical. I want to know whether it will ever get put on in the West End. But what you do is you write on a piece of paper, the Time Lord, and I want to know whether it's ever going to get on in the, in the West End. And then you just write a string of characters. So you write A6, B22, X11, D4. And in your mind, you say, I, I associate my question with this string of characters. Mm -hmm. And then you just give that string of characters to the remote viewers. So they don't know what you've asked them to remote view. They just get A6, B22, blah, blah. They go off, they do their thing, and they come back and say, like, we saw this picture, we, we've got these words, we've got this kind of feeling. And they pull up some amazing stuff. They pull, they, they've, there's time-stamped videos on YouTube. The Maui fire a month before it happened. Mm -hmm. um, they had a, there was a big volcano, I think, that went up a couple of years yeah. ago in yeah, Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They had that about a month before it <coughs> happened. And, and so I do, I do wonder, you know, when there's these things that fit so perfectly, like the, this Freddie Mercury song being released after no one's kind of heard it in mm. relation to him yep, yep. until a year after if you hadn't bought the album you wouldn't know the song yeah yeah that's right yeah and and probably even if you if you i oh know he did sing it on the album he sang it on yes, the album okay. but then again only people who bought the album would have heard it would have heard it but so 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 most kind of freddie mercury and queen fans were, were not no. exposed to it until no. after, no, he's, after he's yeah he's, absolutely he's died and it, it is such a kind of a perfect song that it's almost like if he if he comes back from the dead yeah. and just for yeah. one concert yeah. and he says like this yeah. is about my life it's kind of well it's, it seems too <coughs> perfect to me that it just was coincidental well now jumping to the opening night of time i only met people saying oh you must have met freddie lots of times went clubbing i said no i only met him once in my life for a few minutes well what happened i said was something when i was in on true i told the, the audiences because so they want to hear anything about Freddie that they don't know because I've been going there for 30 years they're hearing some of the same things over and over but they're quite happy because it's about Freddie I said well I was at the Hippodrome you remember the Hippodrome used to be it's the casino now in Leicester Square that's yeah, where yeah. we had the opening night party and um, we were all there and I was there my wife at the time and two kids two, my kids were small and we were there and uh standing around, lots of stars there. And I looks up to the balcony and there's Freddie Mercury standing there. I thought, my God, should I go upstairs? And I thought, no, nah, I won't go upstairs. And then eventually he came down the stairs and he walked towards me, but not knowing. And I saw, I stepped forward and I said, excuse me, Freddie, but could I have a word with you? And he kind of stopped and they said, um, yeah, of course, of course. I said, I just want to thank you for recording my song that I wrote the lyrics for in my defence and he looked at me and he said, are you David Soames? I said, yeah. He said, I love that song, David. I love that song. I said, um, well, you know, Freddie, it took me 20 minutes to write it. And he said, you know, David, some of the best songs ever written take under half an hour to write that. And I said, um, then he said to me, he said, but I really like that song. Um, and uh, I said, you know, when I wrote it, Freddie, I, I gave my partner, Jeff Daniels, 
Dollaric, and I said to him, I think we've um, written a really, really good song here, Jeff. So Jeff put the music to it, came back and played it to me. I said, yeah, we've written a really, really good song. I said, Freddie, but when I heard your recording, I had to go back to Jeff and say, we didn't write a good song. We wrote a fucking great song. And he just said, yeah, thanks. He said, well, I really like the song. He said, and um, I'll tell you why. And he said, I like it because that's all I am. I'm just a singer with a song. And your lyric said that. I said, well, thank you very much for recording it. Put his hand out, we shook it, and he said to me, no, David, thank you very much for writing it. And we parted. Never saw him again. <laughs> yeah, that, I know, mean, that's that was, that's kind of right up there with yeah, the great stories. Yeah, right? the great because meetings. It's, it's like that. And it, I just basically, if I saw him and I didn't go up and I'd wandered off and he'd come, it would have happened. But it's like you could say, well, that, writing the thing, Cameron McIntosh turning it down, he may have screwed it up because he wasn't right for this show. On, on, wait, and this guy gets on the Concord, and who sits beside him? But Dave, who's looking for a musical, because yeah, yeah. he wants to stay in music, Dave, but it's got to be a rock show. And um, all of that right up to Freddie being away from Queen, and he's available, and Dave gets to know him, da, 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 and then they all sing to his, and it just, you keep going. And then that one time, I got to speak to Freddie for just a few minutes, that was all it was, but, and it was, I mean, my best surprise was that he knew who I was, but he's, he's not stupid, because it says, book and lyrics written by David Soames, music by Jeff Daniels, book, lyrics and music co-written by Dave Clark. So anyway, but when he immediately said, you're David Soames, because he's obviously looked at the lyrics and thought, well, you know, this guy's written all of these songs. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. I think as well, probably as, a, as an artist, you know, you kind of do want to understand the essence of where, where did this come from? Mm. So probably you would expect that yeah. he would see who, who yeah. wrote it. Well, he's did the music. obviously oh, he saw the show and he obviously thought, well, this guy David Soames wrote all this story, you know, because it was saying written by David Soames, co-written by Dave Clark. But um, but I mean, the biggest thing of someone says to me, oh, you wrote Time. I say, yeah, but without Dave Clark, there was no time. There was nothing. I mean, he did. It was magic. Just putting those people on the album, getting the Dominion, getting Cliff. You know, getting John Napier, Arlene Phillips. It's, nobody does that. Only person in the world that can do that is Andrew Lloyd Webber. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's it's kind of like, you know, you you had the seed, right? And he had the garden. Yeah, no, no, no. He, he's, he grows yeah, the yeah, plant, yeah, I, yeah, no, I need the seed. Yeah, I, I had the car and the engine, but needed somebody to drive it. Yeah. And Dave was there, you know. And and in terms of, of writing, um, I mean, you said that song took 20 minutes to write. 20 minutes. Do you, do you find... Generally, that's how you write, that you will just be walking around and think, I need to grab a I, pen and paper. I write, every day I write something down, that, or maybe, maybe go into a song, and then every now and then I'll start writing one. But sometimes, that, that song was quick. Sometimes I, I get half a song and I'll leave it for a day and go back to it again. I, that's how I do it. I mean, Elton John says if it doesn't come in half an hour, he leaves it. He might never go back to it again if he hasn't got it in half an hour, the, the melody to a lyric he's sitting in front of. But to me, I can keep going back and back. And um, I've, uh, But the funny thing is to go back, because this is more down your side, because Cliff Richard, I remember when we were working, Cliff Richard says to me, you believe in God, don't you? I said, not the way you're talking about. I don't believe in God of the Bible. I believe there's maybe a creator of the universe, but it's not anything with the Koran to do with the Koran or the Bible. Anyway, so basically, um, he said, no, no, 
you must believe in God, he said, because you couldn't have written this unless you had that spiritual feeling inside you. And the funny thing is, I've written quite a few musicals and musical plays with spirituality very strong in them. Um, I mean, I, 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 writ, I wrote a, mus a musical around Christa Berg's songs, and it was called Hell's Angel, and it's about the devil wanting to break out of hell. And so there's that, and then I've written another thing called Second Chance, which is very spiritual about the creator of the universe. So basically I keep going down this road for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why. You know, and um, I, you know, um, but I, I don't, Tanya, she's quite Christian. And um, I'm, I believe that there's a creator of the universe, but I don't see it as what the Bible is, or, you know, because these were written by men in their time. And or as the Bible was written by lots of men, you know, who decided that day what they got up, what they were going to do, write about. So I don't, I believe in the creator of the universe because it's, um, it's, uh, I read this thing which was, um, I can't remember the, the book it came from. You would remember, no? The book about the planets being aligned. See, we have in the universe, we have um, the moon and the sun, the earth, and the two other planets. Now, the dinosaurs were wiped out by a, a meteor hitting the planet. Why have we not, the rest of us, been written off by a meteor since then? Because one of the two planets, either Uranus or Jupiter, draws the meteors away from the earth. But they all have to be in exactly the right spot. They can't be 10,000 miles away, any one of them, because everything is in exactly the right spot for us to live on this planet for us to be safe on this planet, for the moon and the sun to be in exactly the right position. How did that come to be? When we can see into the universe, there's nothing like it anywhere else. And someone wrote in this book once, what was it called? Conversations with God. Conversations with God. So you read Conversations with God, about a man talking to God who answers them. And the answer was that there is more chance of a whirlwind going through a dump of old cars and things. And at the end of the, when it goes through to the end of the dump, it's built a 747 Boeing jet than us living on this planet with all those things in the right place. That's more, there's more chance of that having to have had been touched by something's hand than that it's easier for the world to go through and create a Boeing than it is for all those things in the universe to be sitting in the position they're in. Yeah, I heard the the the, uh, the 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 comparison that I heard was that it would it's more probable that a monkey will write the complete works of Shakespeare G give, again. Give them a million years, then, give them enough typewriters, and they'll bang out Shakespeare's full, full works. Yes, but it's quite interesting because so so I mean I'm I it, probably it's even more outside of the, the 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 normal wheelhouse. But at the moment, I'm going down a real rabbit hole with flat Earth. Mm -hmm. And really, whether we're on a flat plane, <laughs> biblical, it sounds funny. But, but, but how do you say from space we see it round from space? We've we've never been. Oh, okay, then. I'm one that's, of that's that's getting into another. Yeah. <laughs> that's another show. Yeah, yeah, I think me. that's probably you know, that's another show. But, but we have but, cameras up there. It's not you can't say there's not satellites flying around yeah, up there. You can. How? Oh, let's not get into that one then, because no. <laughs> I'm I'm quite sure with all the communications we have these days, the only way a lot of it can work is because there's satellites up there bouncing things around. They could be but high altitude balloons. 
Which is why you can't have any comms over places well, like Afghanistan. When they went well, to Afghanistan, they, the communications yeah, didn't yeah. work because well, they can't okay, float anything. Okay, we'll, but yeah, it's, we'll a, see, we'll it's, see, a, it's a different story. But, yeah. but the thing is, it's you know, it's it's the same uh, concept as what you're saying. Is that it, it, it's like a perfect clock. It's like a Swiss watch. The mm. way everything works. The, mm. the same if you consider the kind of the the, the globe model, the helio, heliocentric model. That yeah, everything is put just in the right place exactly. where it needs to be. Exactly. Couldn't really be by chance. There's, no, there's a, that's there's a, there's what a I believe. There's something, that, something, but it's not any of the the, the holy books that they're the saying. Because no, it, I agree. It, they're just written by the, men. Right? They're written by men. Yeah. I mean, this this was one of the things. I don't, are you familiar with Graham Hancock? Fingerprints of the gods. He's like ancient. No, no, um, I've, I've never read that. Ancient no, architecture. No, so the stating the Sphinx and all the yeah. Or, all I mean, that, obviously that kind of there's things that you got. Well, there is a thing about in in thousands of miles apart. There's there's carvings of spacemen yes. on different buildings yes. that had no connection to each other because people didn't travel from yes. there to there in those days. And and the flood myth. But that's, everybody's got the flood yeah. story. So there's all these kind of yeah. Things yeah, that, that are common to all of our that's, ancestors. That's right? where we're the, the song where the UFO came from was those carvings of spacemen. That's where that idea came from that we're the UFO, that they're UFO. And, and and so do you do you actually have a sort of a concept of aliens, UFOs, parallel dimensions? Do, do you have something that you feel I think this is what it is, or you you just no, think there's I something? Just, I just think there's got to be something more. I mean, there's got to be something more than us. Oh, for sure. Otherwise, what's the point at the end of the day? And um, um, you won't believe this, but one of my best friends created the alien autopsy. Really? My, one of my best friends called Spiros Milaris. He created the, the, the whole thing, set up the, the, the whole, all the, the, the people in the white coats and everything and got the phones correctly as it was and would have been in, in Area 51 and back in the day. He, he and, and he had a guy called John Humphreys create the alien and he filmed the whole thing. Yep. The greatest hoax ever perpetrated by Spiros Milaris. Oh, yep. shout out to you, Spiros. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, yeah, there's things like that that kind of, Changed the whole of humanity because mm. like everybody, probably in some capacity, was aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there it are things the that actually changed yeah, the way. But we, there was we um, very big professionals thought it was true. It was that was real. Yeah. Other people like it can't be, and they were saying that is real because you know no one could do that back in those days. We never had the CGI whatever to do what we're looking at. This is real. and all the instruments are real for the time and everything else and all that and it was just a hoax but um, it was done you know brilliantly and yeah. um, you know and Spiros has just written a book about it about his whole experience because even when he would go out and give talks to the UFO community they'd be up shouting up he's a liar and he says I can prove it to you but I think this is this is actually like a common thing to to the human experience is that we're looking for something that that gives us meaning mm. or purpose mm. and quite often we look to some external thing oh there's aliens therefore yeah. this 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 or the bible is the word of god therefore yes, you know, i yes, can well, i can yes, kind of, of course go yes. down that that yeah. road i mean do do you have um a sort of a core belief on why we're here what we're supposed to be doing no, I just think we're here to do the best we can and leave the place in a better position than we found it. That's that's would be if you can do that, you've done enough. Leave it in better condition than you found it, and you know, be 
be a good person and do the best you can. Not all of us are given talent or whatever, but, you know, the happiest man in the world today could be an Aborigine or someone at the North Pole, an Eskimo, and they are totally happy. They've never heard the VAT, they've never heard the tax, they've never heard the word Ferrari or Gucci. They're totally happy. And that's really what most people really want to be, totally happy. Obviously, you have to clothe, feed, get a roof over your head, you know, but basically, I suppose we're all looking for happiness. And, you know, love, why not? Love is, the, you know, one of the most important things there is, whether mm. it's from your family or people around you. But it's like, I'm going back to kind of time and Freddie. Did you know what I was surprised at was we were in Montreal this year and last year. And when I was there and seeing how much these people, the love they had for Freddie Mercury and Queen, unbelievable. I mean, from people who lived at the time and young, young kids that had listened to music, because Queen music will never die. It's just phenomenal. I mean, see, but his voice... Is, it is when he died, he was the greatest voice in the world. He's the greatest front man that's ever been. There's no question. His 14 minutes at Wembley is the greatest 14 minutes on film. No question. Now, what was some of it last night? Well, it's no, no doubt. I mean, people couldn't believe it when he walked on. I mean, they said that the people still went to go and said, we're wasting our time going out there now. And it's like in the movie. But, um, and I was there, and it's funny how things work, because I said, why has nobody written a song for Freddie Mercury? to say what we feel about him. And I thought, I'm going to come back and I'm going to write it. By chance, someone I met there who lives in Holland said, I've got this friend coming over from South Africa called Joseph Clark, who has, what's his queen band name? The Queen Experience. The queen experience. And so I went and looked at this guy and I thought, this guy is phenomenal. He doesn't try to be Freddie, but he sounds a bit like here and there like Freddie. But he doesn't dress up like Freddie and have a moustache like a lot of tribute bands do. Good luck, be great. And um, I went to see him and um, I became we became very good friends with him immediately and we followed him around Germany a bit because we were over there for a holiday, Tanya's from Germany and Finland. And um, got to know him and, and there's another band that I had, I said to him, I'm writing some songs at the moment, and one of them's a tribute to Freddie Mercury called Today, Tomorrow, Forever. He said, oh, can I, can I read the last? I said, yeah, read the last. I said, I've actually given it to someone else at the moment, a band I met there. And I said, but they've done nothing with it in a couple of months. And he read it and he said, um, oh, wish I could put music to this for you, David. He said, oh, I'd love it. He said, but anyway, you've given it to someone else. So after a while, I said to him, Joseph, I've taken the lyric back off them. They've done nothing. I'd like you to have a look at it. And of course, he said, I'm delighted. And um, so I left it with him. And then one day he came up to me and said, right, I'm going to play you the rough demo of what we're doing here. And um, he, he only changed one word in the whole song, which was phenomenal. Because the first lyric was, um, um, you were the killer queen. And I wrote, you gave us the bohem rhapsody. And he changed it to, you gave us the rhapsody, which was perfect because I, I had to shorten bohem to get in the line. But he changed it. And then he sang it and he just... Um, it was extraordinary because some of it, I said, because you're sounding so like Freddie in some of these these moments in time. And um, he did it. He got his band in, Axe Lawrence on guitar and everyone else, and they all chipped in and it came back and I listened to it and it was phenomenal. And he, I said, look, I'm going to Montreux. I'd like to play it on the screen, film it. And he said, well, what time is it? I said, don't take a small theatre that seats 100 people and do it on a stage with just lights and dark. And um, I don't know if you've seen the video. No, I haven't. Well, you have to. Well, we'll give you a, a, a thing to get it so yeah. you can pull it up. Um, it's phenomenal. I mean, it is 
unbelievable. People couldn't believe it. I mean, they were so he may be getting he may be getting invited to Montreux next year to perform Queen songs and sing this song to Freddie today, tomorrow, forever. And when did you write that? I only wrote, when did I write the song? It must have been just earlier this year. Earlier this year. Early this year. End of last year. Was it been end of last year? And left it with them and said, "Look, I'm going to do it in Mo at Montreux." Um, and I mean, it's been played now radio stations in South Africa and Holland, Belgium, all over the place. And um, but um, and why why so long a gap? Did did something happen and you thought I I need to? No, the only thing that got me was because when I saw the love for Freddie after going to Montreux eighteen months ago, yeah, I thought, why hasn't anyone written a song about Freddie? And but I decided in the song I wouldn't mention Freddie's name. So, but you know who it was, um, because there is a line where I say, you'll always be Mr. Bad Guy, because one of his solo albums is called Mr. Bad Guy. And, um, you know, um, starting obviously with the, the King of Queen, and, and it's quite nice because when he gets to Today, Tomorrow, Forever, just, just has dropped the melody of Who Wants to Live Forever, just on that one line. And we actually has a sample of Deo. And so that's cut in. Joseph cut that in as well, and you have to listen to it. We'll give you a link to it. Yeah, I'll put links for it. all of these. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Some well, of these are I'll actually cut into the cut into the. So yeah, if you're watching it, it, yeah. it will, it will yeah, chip in can, and out. But can, I'll put links at the end so people you, can find it. The song them. is is is. I mean, people just they freaked over it and they said, and it this sounds like a Queen song, just the way it's performed and played. It sounds like a new Queen song. You were the killer queen who gave us a rhapsody To us you're still the man, your passion was something to see You lived the joy of life, we took that journey together Your music lives within our soul Today, tomorrow, forever You may have left the stage you are the singer of the song We will always hold your candle Because the show must still go Such charisma This music 
music was your life We'll sing the chorus together You will always live on Today, tomorrow, forever You may have left the stage But you are the singer and the song And we No, but what I can say sometimes I've said, look, I've written this lyric and it's got to be like McCartney's The Long and Winding Road. It's got, you got to have that feeling to it. So you, you might have other songs as kind of reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To think. It's got to be that kind of, of way. Um, so, but um, I mean, I've written other musicals since then. I mean, I did um, a musical with, I don't know, you know, the actor, producer Paul Nicholas. I know the name. Well, Paul was the first person to play Jesus Christ Superstar back way back then. And he was also the producer of Grease and Saturday Night Fever in the West End. And he's um, just good friends, was a big hit series. Your mother would know. It was, it was a great big hit. Anyway, I wrote Paul, um, I wrote a thing called Blockbuster, which was all the songs of Nicky Chin and Mike Chapman from Sweet, Smokey, T um, Susie McCottrell, Tina Turner, Mud, Slade, all of that was, not Slade, but the other ones. And um, I wrote, I saw, it was like Mamma Mia. I wrote a new story and we used all those songs, which we went out and did for four weeks to get the rights to the songs and it, it may rear its head again. And then I wrote a new musical called Across the Wall with one of the best British writers ever, a man called Alan Hawkshaw, who's written number ones for Streisand and Olivia Newton-John. Alan died a little while ago. But we wrote this amazing musical called Across the Wall, set on the Berlin Wall one year before it came down, either side of the wall. And the musical was set in the West Berlin Opera House and the East Berlin Opera House. And the girl sings in bars and cafes in East Berlin, but she wants to be a diva and sing opera. And her father's a major in the border guard and he gets her an audition and she sails in. And they're going to make her the next star, but she won't join the Communist Party, so they kick her out. So she decides she has to escape across the wall to West Berlin. And then tragedy occurs, blah, 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 blah. But um, the great Alan wrote the music and lyrics, and I wrote book and lyrics. And um, we did one concert, a narrated concert at the Bloomsbury Theatre, and Alan got a 60-piece orchestra on stage to do it. 
and we had someone from America come, a tenor, to come over and sing. And we got stars from Les Miserables Phantom to come and do it. What we did was we had a screen and the actors sat in front of the orchestra and they stood up, they acted a scene and sang the song and sat down again. And that's on the internet as well to be to be watched. I'll give and you a link to link. that as well. Yeah, we'll give I'll you a link, link to it. You'll see that, but it's... Um, it, and the whole opera comes to a head the night the, the wall falls and she goes back through the wall to stop her father killing her boyfriend and get him back to West Berlin with her to be there when she, she sings in the West Berlin Opera House because she's discovered by the impresario who's writing a new opera. It's very, it's one of the, it's probably the best thing I've ever written. Sounds, sounds fantastic. Um, so do you say you, you've done a four-week run of that? Blockbuster, no, we did a four-week run mm. of the Blockbuster. You remember Chinin Chapman songs like um, Hey, Mickey, You're So Fine? You see, that's one of theirs. And um, Living Next Door to Alice. And um, Blockbuster by Sweet, um, yeah. Susie Quattro, all of that, Devil Gate Drives. There's all those songs in there, Tina Turner songs. And that may raise its head again. So I've been doing other things all the, through the years and some plays. I wrote some plays. In fact, there's an amateur company doing my new play on the 2nd of November up in Nutsford near Manchester. We're going up to see it called um, Remember, Remember. It's set on the 5th of November and they're doing this new play because um, someone, I did it many, many years ago and changed it all. And the director there had seen it and loved it. And I changed it all, it almost brand new. Uh, six people, one set. And um, that's being done for a week up there. I'm going to have a look at it. And Paul Nicholas is coming up to look at it as a producer. So we're going to do that as well. So we just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're, 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 well, no, you're, you write every day. That's yeah, what well, it sounds I like. I do, I do songs and that, you know. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's people say it's like a, a muscle, right, writing. Mm. You, you have to exercise it. Yeah. Got yeah, to sort of yeah, keep it yeah, finely yeah, yeah. tuned. So one, one of the things that I, actually my wife kept saying, you need to ask, um, but I wanted to ask you was. She wants my phone number. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I've got that already. Carry on. Um, she she wanted to, to me to ask you about whether you think that kind of period around so that that I guess around that kind of live aid time that mm-hmm. that era seemed to be like a sort of a golden era for for music and those I think you you'd mentioned it just a little bit earlier that that a lot of that music is kind of evergreen it's just it never kind of goes out of no fashion or out of it never feels old it never feels lazy it never feels dated and and we were kind of discussing it and and i i said my my idea around that is because at, at that time that was when the the world had become like a global world kind of for the first time so like the berlin wall mm. comes down yeah, and yeah, you know yeah, east and west yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone starts yeah. to be able to watch mtv yeah. or, or whatever so so you've got like a almost like a global consciousness you know in terms of the youth and the, the younger people but also it was it was still at the time when there was no internet so like if there was because we, we were talking about this uh, on another episode recently about the um, Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns, those, mm-hmm. those boxing mm-hmm. fights. Like if it was yeah. on, everyone on earth who wanted to watch it watched it at the same time. Yes. It was, you know, nine no, o'clock, was, whatever, yeah, you either yeah, went you, to the pub, yeah, you put the telly, yeah, you went around like, to your yes. friend's house. Like watching or the cup final, yeah, you had yes, to be yeah. there, yeah. And, and I think with the music, I don't know whether you feel that that's part of the reason for that or whether you even feel that was a golden era. But it was it was kind of like the, the whole consciousness of mm. the 
planet was kind of involved in things all at the same time. Like there's this there's this thing, I forget the name of it, it's it's called the something resonance or the something frequency, which is like the the resonance of Earth and it's measurable and it changes. And it's usually at a certain frequency. And after 9-11, it completely changed for about 48 hours. It was completely different. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the theory is because everybody on Earth was kind of looking at what had happened at, and, and everyone was having the similar kind of feelings of this is terrible, this is going to change mm-hmm. the world forever and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And I, and I wonder again whether going back to that era of the music where everybody's involved with something at the same time, it it almost kind of imbues the performances with more energy. You know, like when you go to a massive concert, the crowd is like half of it, right? Absolutely. No, the the crowd lift elevates the the, the performance. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think music, probably from... It's everything changed with Elvis. Like John Lennon says, before Elvis there was nothing. There was there was Sinatra and all, I mean who's the greatest ballad singer that ever lived. Phraseology is great something. Whenever sees like again, then you you come into the Beatles and and the, the the Rolling Stones and 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 the Animals and the Who, great great bands who can could still go out. The Who could go out and fill Wembley today. Um, and then you come into that period, then you start coming into the, the, the Rod Stewart's and the Bowie's and, and, and all of that stuff. And then across there, you've got Springsteen and all of that. Suddenly you've got this thing happening and you've got the whole of Tamla Motown hitting off at the same time as well as stack records. I mean, I was lucky to one stand 10 feet from Otis Redding singing My Girl in a Glasgow dance hall, which was... <laughs> I've never lost that in my mind. That is, to me, he's the greatest soul singer that ever lived. That voice, him and Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye, you know. But um, you had all of them following each other or at the same time. I mean, you had the Beatles here and you had Tamla Motown happening and Stack all happening at the same time. It was all unbelievable stuff. And you're talking about music that today still sounds... You heard... If I wrote... Someone wrote today, I heard it through the grapevine. Tomorrow we'd be saying, this is one of the greatest songs ever written. Yeah. That is 40 years old, doesn't matter. Um, and plus, you had Elvis opening the door to what is rock and roll and Little Richard and Buddy Holly and all of that, whose sounds still stand up. And then you had all those great people that are still around here, like Elton and Rod and all of that. And Queen was there and the Black Sabbaths and the Metallica, who are, it's not my kind of music, but you know it's good because that's good stuff. There's a lot of crap on it, like everything. But all that happened and suddenly. It almost, it disappears and, you know, the world is kind of run by Adele, Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift in a way, in a way, who are all great. But where's the amount of those people that we saw Mm. coming through who did, went out and played pubs and clubs and stuff like that to get there, not your X Factor. You know, you get certain people come out of X Factor who are quite amazing. Leona Lewis, an amazing voice. But she's no, you know, she's no Aretha Franklin. You know, we had all those people, but they were all in the same generation. I mean, Elvis died, but you, you had it all at once. Mm. How come the universe gave us it all at once? And then electronic music came, which was slightly different. Obviously, kids have their own music. I understand that because, you know, we had that. and did it. But I've been through it all the way. Mm. And um, I don't know why, but there was a period there of, you could say 40 years, 
that had never happened before and it's never happened since. Mm. The greats are still, Springsteen's still around, Michael Jackson's gone, we'll never see, I always used to say to my son who was a musician, we'll never see Elvis, we'll never see Sinatra, we'll never see Michael Jackson, we'll never see Prince, we'll never see the Beatles again. We just won't. Because mm. those people you will never see again, we will never see them again. Because the world is not, it won't do it. Because as good as Ed Sheeran is, he's not as good as those people I've just mentioned. And neither, you know, and Springsteen's a one-off. You know, seriously, I mean, it's, you know, Bowie was one, J Jagger, the Rolling Stones, one off. They weren't the greatest, you know, because you can argue about which band you think is the best band, you know. But those, but we had it for 40 years. Why? Other people today are great singers and great songwriters. Sheeran is, you know, but he's not a rock star. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, again, maybe you, you probably have much more insight into it than I do, but I think I think the a bit like w with that, it's almost like a Cambrian explosion, right, with the music. Yeah. It, we we kind of had the same thing with the internet. You yes. know, in 1995, yeah. there was no internet, right? And then by 2015, there was nothing that wasn't internet. And now literally, carrying around on your phone, everything that's ever existed is, and it updates yeah, yeah. every from yep. nanosecond but I, I think you know in 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 that that sort of more golden era it was about the sort of the performance the concert the album every two years or year or whatever whereas now it's about every 20 seconds like yeah. another tweet another instagram post you know i'm on this i'm on that i'm doing a collab here and this and that and the other i think it's kind of this is certainly what i've found for myself my attention span is so much shorter now because I'm used to getting blasted with these bite-sized bits mm -hmm. of information mm -hmm. every yep. 30 yep. seconds. Yep. Yep. You know, used to yep. sit down and watch a movie and then if it was good, I'd just watch it again. Yeah. You know, go and have some lunch and just put yep. it on again put in the afternoon. What, time, yeah. what, do the same thing. Whereas now, trying to sit down for two hours and do something is much more difficult now because there's, there's, there's this constant kind of, you know, um, I don't know, it's like an itch. Just yeah. Yeah, we're taught now by, I mean, the, the internet's one of the greatest things that ever happened and one of the worst things that ever happened in a way. And remember, going back to those days, the Beatles used to do an album every three months <laughs> and they had to come out with more songs every three months. Now Adele does one every four or five years. Mm. It's, it's a whole different, I mean, the, I mean it, was, it was a simpler time then because we'd just come out of the war relatively and suddenly... Kids had the power of this is our music. We will, you know, we don't care what our parents say. You know, they're saying this is the devil's music. Well, no, it's our music. And it gradually got on there, you know. And then we had punk, which some of it was good and some of it was rubbish, like anything. But um, supreme talent is supreme talent in whatever form it comes in. You know, if it comes in Nijinsky, the ballet dancer, or it comes in Elvis or Freddie, it's talent's talent, and, you know, and I always feel that if you're given talent, it sh you should be making the most of it. But a lot of people are given talent and they waste it. Sportsmen, happens to musicians, you know, Amy Winehouse. Mm. What a talent, mm. you know, well, she, she threw it down the drain. Mm. Sad circumstances, but, you know, because we, we all want that talent. We all want to give it to us. But um, times change. And George Harrison once said, I think it was, um, all things must pass. 
what was his name of his album, I think, he's, he, when he left the Beatles. And it's true. And, I mean, I do think people think more now about the planet and each other than maybe they did. I mean, because it's beamed into our house every day, what's going on? I mean, you just have to look at since last the week last Saturday. I mean, who could have seen that coming? Somebody must have saw it coming. I'm absolutely sure. Oh, who, didn't, who didn't want to tell people because... As, as I talk to my son, he, I mean, we know the Israelis are one of the best systems in the world to find out when anyone's coming for them. And some people believe that they wanted it to happen. They didn't dictate the amount it would happen, but let's let them in. They'll do a bit of damage and that gives us the excuse to go and do what we want to do. Mm. I don't think they realised the damage they would have done, or they did do, no question. I don't know about babies... I know babies were shot. I've got no question on that. Beheading, I don't know, where it sounds like propaganda. As we don't know because no one's shown me it. I've seen photographs now of babies in cots and stuff. They could make that up. But then again, I think it was real because of, you know, and I've seen them taking hostages back. There's no question. These were real pictures. And but the people died. We know they died. And a lot of people died. And now a lot of people died on the other side. And it's like, it's like just going round and round and round. And we should know better. You know, but what, you know, but it's the same as how long we've been living in Ukraine, two years now. We all thought, they thought that was going to be done in three months, but we're mad. I mean, but that's a whole nother, again, yeah. a whole nother episode, right? Yeah, because but, what happened to Ukraine? Yeah, the day after Israel had this blow up on the border, I haven't heard a word about Ukraine. Because what happens is this is now the front page news. It, but, it's, but what's the news? If that's a if that's a human tragedy, yeah. it's still going on, right? Yeah. Apparently no, not. But, but only the I think the news, I mean, and I think who's it said that? It said whatever's the biggest at the moment is the news. The, the, the other things are still going on, we'll get back to them when we get back when this is old news. We'll go over there and see well, what's happening over there now. This is the way, we, this is the, the, the journalism the way it is. I mean, uh, someone said um, that journalism should quite simply be about the truth. That's all. That's long gone. I know, but that's what it should be. But uh, it's like, I remember once in this book again, it was, um, I think it was a chariot of the gods where they said to, it's just, I've never forgotten this, but there was these people in the universe, they only ever told the truth. And you knew if you were called to a courtroom and they were asked something, whatever they told would be the truth. And there was no way of not believing it. Like if you said to them, what color is that house you're looking at on the hill and the roof? They would say to you, two sides are white and two sides of the roof are red. They wouldn't tell you the house was white and the roof was red. They'd only tell you what they could see. Yes. So that was the truth. They never told a lie or an untruth. And they would never emboss on what was the truth. And that I've always, this has kept with me for 40 years, This that, that little bit of new thing. I, don't, I can't remember anything else about it, but I always thought, isn't that wonderful? There was such people in the world that anyone went in front of them and they knew the truth. Whatever they told you, that's the truth. That would be great, but it's not the case. There's actually a really good, um, have you seen um, Interstellar? No. The Chris Nolan movie? You, you, what was I it about? Maybe like I have. You say Chris they, Nolan. They, I would always. They find to... the wormhole. It, it, basically, the Earth is dying. It's set sort of in the near future. There's a, the blight that mm. all the crops are dying. Yeah, you, you'd like it. It's a it's a great. Maybe movie. I have seen it. I just can't. Who was in it? That'd be better. Um, it wasn't uh, Jodie Foster. Ma no. no, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. I have seen this. It Michael must have, must have seen it. 
Um, it's a couple of years old. That maybe would be, two, yeah, three Michael Caine's been in it be a few years because I remember something about it. I just can't. But there's think. a there's a there's a sort of a scene where they it's, it's sort of in the near future. Yeah, and they've got these robots with them mm. that are just they look mm. like American mm. fridges, but yeah. they can move. Yeah, but they oh. the, they develop this personality. Mm. And and there's this whole scene where he's saying to the robot, the robot makes a joke, mm. and he says, "Let's let's put your truth setting at this level and your mm -hmm. humor setting at that yeah. level." But there's like sort of a whole concept through the movie of you don't want the the whole truth mm. because it's too difficult to bear sometimes. So as humans, we'll we'll yeah. give you ninety percent, but yes, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll leave the ten percent just to make the existence a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit like that um, Tom Cruise movie with Jack Nicholson, isn't it? You can't stand, you can't yes. stand the truth. Yes. Yeah, whatever it's it was. It can be brutal, yeah. right? Yeah. When you get, yeah. when you get, you know, all of the veneer mm. removed, mm. and you just, mm. I mean, but I think that's 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 the sort of uh, the classical biblical whatever yeah. that is judgment, right? Mm, yeah, that's what happens yeah. to you well, apparently. I've I've, I've um, I got a great because my partner Tanya, she's a hypnotherapist and a KC. What is it? Is it called? Site K, the love she did to people. She's helps people out a great deal. People, she's um, she's had people who've drunk. I shall have you on uh, next week. Yeah, have her on next week. She's amazing. I mean, she's had people. Yeah, who, you want to come on? She's had people who are alcoholic for like ten years, but but whiskey they and after working with her, they never drunk again. She's had people got on planes that would never got on a plane. Amazing. Site K, it's unbelievable. Oh yeah, yeah, and definitely. Let's let's do an episode. There you Perfect. go. She's she's unbelievable. So this was one of the things I was. I always ask guests when they come mm. on. Can you put me in touch with oh, well, one this, other person? This is unbelievable. This woman. This is, is an this woman one. is utterly amazing. Imagine you work for Lufthansa for fourteen years. You train to be a priest for two years, but you don't do it. What for? Lands in London, walks into the Radisson Portman Hotel, four star hotel, and she walks up to the desk and she said, "I'd like a job." She said, I speak five languages. They said, okay, you're on the desk. Three months later, they come to her and they ask her to run the hotel at night. After three months, 12 weeks, they ask her to run the hotel, a four-star hotel in the middle of London. And she's the first woman ever to run the most famous hotel in the world as a night manager, the London Savoy. Wow, she was asked. She was the only the first woman ever to run the. I think she's still the only woman. It was the name so we we can one. have like one episode on the the, the <laughs> counselling and one on the uh, well, can, well, crazy well, stuff that happens come into at night it, come in the into it, But amazing, amazing, and um, yeah, when the Savoy shut down, she was tracked by the Jumeirah Carlton Tower, owned by Sheikh Maktoum of Dubai, and they hired her as their, their night manager. Then All right, so tune yeah, in, guys. Tune in, you should tell you the whole story. With, with Tanya coming soon. Tanya, Tanya Spelling, yeah. Yeah. There you go. So um, are you working on anything at the moment? I am. I'm working on, um, well, I want to try and raise finance for Across the Wall. The one with this is the Berlin. That, that's the Berlin one, yeah. I'm going to try and raise finance. But that's an expensive show. That's a three and a half million thing for the West End. But I've got a, my my my. Love Passion is my new musical play called Second Chance because it's only three people in one set and nine songs. And that's that's going to be, that's probably getting out in the West End for 700,000. And that's, we just need one decent star to play the creator of the universe. So there you go. So it's just a small ask. Yeah, we only want, the we only want Hugh Jackman, that's all. <laughs> 
There you go. But we'll see. Yeah, a few things and, and stuff. I've got a few movies that are sitting ready to rock and roll once I get... I'm looking, I'm looking for a financiers that are going to put a package together for a couple of movies and a couple of musicals together. So the investment covers four projects rather than just one. That, that gives a risk a better risk for them so yeah, I'm trying to do that excellent. at the moment other than that I'm out of work can you give me a job <laughs> no not really there you but go but I can give you three questions three okay. questions that I that one, one I don't normally ask and two I do normally ask so the, the one that I don't normally ask is if you could go to a concert with one artist anyone who's ever lived who would you like to see can I take two artists yeah Elvis and Freddie. Okay. Together or separately? <laughs> together. Let's all go together, boys. Okay. Second question is, if you were trapped in a TV show for a month, what would you choose? Trapped? In a TV show. What TV show would I like to be in? Um, the Blacklist. Black oh, is that the one with um, uh, the James Spader? Yes. Yeah, is it James Spader? Yes, yeah, that'd be yeah. in the blacklist. The yeah. whole game. Or billions. Either either or I'll go for the two of them. Okay. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And then the last one is uh, you can have ten million pounds in cash right now, but you're being chased by a snail. If the snail touches you, you die a horrible death. The snail cannot be killed, the snail cannot be stopped. The snail knows where you are at all times mm -hmm. and it has only one purpose, which is to get to you. Mm -hmm. Would you take the money? No. Beautiful. Because it would get me in my sleep. <laughs> I wouldn't. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much for coming my in. My pleasure. It's, it's really a privilege to, well, to talk know, to no, you. My pleasure indeed. I, do, I can't believe I could talk so much. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> You, well, maybe if, I do. If you can write that much, you probably you could talk that much. Well, it's because it's not, you know, I mean, there's been some interesting things happened in my life, which is quite nice, you know, and um, I've had a degree of success that most people don't get that one hit show. Because it's, the, let me just say the last thing, the most difficult art form to produce is a musical. Because it's script, book, music, lyrics, dancing, sets, Everything's rolled in. A play is a set and some actors. That's it. Film is that. Film is very difficult, I know, but it's just that set. But to put it all on a stage and all of those things have got to come together to make a hit, it's, it's a very difficult thing to be doing. So I was very lucky that I met Mr. Clark. And wrote the Time Lord. And wrote the Time Lord. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in luck. But there you go. Well, yeah. exactly. I was meant yeah. to be at the right place at the right time as long... And it will happen to you as long as you keep working towards it. Don't expect to do nothing and it's going to walk through the door. It doesn't. It's the old adage again. The harder I work, the more successful I get. Yeah, That's it. It's, uh, it's, it's good advice. Yep. Are you on social media at all? I'm on Insta Instagram. What? I'm on Instagram. What's, what's the Insta? Is it at Soames David? Oh, I'll put a link in the, in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, yeah. At cool. Soames David on Instagram. Yeah, I'll give you my card anyway. And it's uh, this is um, this is where you can put on here. This is um, how's that for a card? Across the wall. Yeah, cool. I'll if you put go to a, the back, I'll put you, a little at uh, the bottom. People can see it there. It tells you it's on the internet. 
Oh, beautiful. Yeah, so you can see it there, and you've got my email there and everything else now. So Yeah, lovely. So I'll, can, I'll put links for all these things on the show yeah, notes. Yeah, you can have a look at that. I'll, I, will, I will cut in yeah, some of the, yeah. the music that yeah. we've talked about into yeah, the, into the tell episode. Tell them to look up and across the wall, and if you're an investor, please look up. Across <laughs> the wall, if you've got some money. Well, you, you see, I just need to put where they can look it up, but, you know, we'll get yeah, there. I'll, we'll I'll get put there. some links up there. So thank you guys very much for listening. I know everyone's time is precious. If you... Uh, stayed with us through the whole episode. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your as time. As I do. As David does. Um, and uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. Um, at White Basement Pod is the best place to, to keep up with the show. And uh, we drop a new episode every Tuesday, 5am. So if you're up early and you're busy doing things, 5am on a Tuesday, you can get a hit every week. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. The bigger the better. In everything. <laughs> In my defense, what is there to say? All the mistakes we made must be faced today. It's not easy now, knowing where to start. While the world we love tears itself apart I'm just a singer with a song How can I try to right the wrong For just a singer with a melody I'm caught in between with a
rumors are that we're going to split up. What do you think? They're talking from here. 